time where software is eating the world and companies are frantically trying to figure out how to grow bigger and scale faster, it's easy to forget that at the core of every business are people like you and me trying their best to help other people. But people don't scale. We heard those exact words in our last episode with Miranda Giacoski. So how do you ensure that the people are still being successful even as the business explodes? Today's guest, Dan Ennis, is the scale team manager on the customer success team at monday.com. One of Dan's favorite things about monday.com, the data-driven culture. But we know that data is not equal to people. So how does monday.com, a hyper-growth company with thousands and thousands of customers, build playbooks and systems to make the individual people who use their product successful as the business grows? This is Happy Customers, the show where we're exploring what people inside some of the world's top companies are really doing every day to go beyond the metrics and numbers on the balance sheet, collaborate across their entire organization, and truly invest in making their customers successful. I'm Stuart Balcom, and I'm excited you're here. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, on with the show. Let's start by understanding the specific customer segment that Dan works with and how the approach to customer success for that segment differs from everybody else at monday.com. So I know every company does scale difference, but the highest level for us scale is looking at how to achieve customer success goals, growth, accomplishment, good health, all those things, NDR, everything that comes with customer success at a larger scale of accounts. So how do we leverage more tech touch? How do we leverage more one-to-many? How do we do that so that we can have more strategic human intervention, knowing that our CSMs have probably a very similar actual overall ARR that they manage to higher touch CSMs, but it's just more accounts as opposed to less. So knowing that we can't have as hand-on of a relationship with customers as the higher touch side, what does it look like to achieve similar goals? So we know there's a whole spectrum of engagement models from self-serve to the highest touch motions typically reserved for enterprise customers. But can an account change their position on that spectrum over time? Yeah, it all depends on company size, really, right? So our goal is for them to go through. That's the ideal flow as they come in, part of land and expand grow through that. And so we're, you know, one of the segments that we love to see when a customer leaves our segment. And that's the goal. And that's the pipeline that we hope for with customers. Although, of course, if it's a a smaller company that's forever going to be in that segment, that's something that we encounter as well. Totally. So how is the team structured around that goal? Like acknowledging that this is maybe operates a little differently than maybe how you work with lower touch and, and sort of much higher touch customers. How do you structure the team around helping customers be successful in this segment? Yeah, so the team that we're on, we focus on identifying, been a bit of a journey. So we do some proactive engagement around, which I think we'll touch a little bit more with some of the later conversation points we have. We have proactive engagement around their life cycle and what they need based on where they're at in their journey with Monday their maturity, all those different components. And then there's a little bit of a really data-driven reactivity. From the customer side, it might seem like it's proactive because we're reaching out to them, but it's reactive in the sense that it's related to things that are triggers that we're seeing in their data. So it's just really sophisticated, data-driven, reactive. So really the team is structured around both because we know that these proactive touch points 
for some accounts, that's really all they need. They're healthy, they're self-sufficient, our couple times a year proactive touch points is all they'll need with our, plus our one-to-many outreach and everything that we do on that level. Other customers, we can tell from the data triggers that we get that they need more, that we've got to have some more human intervention to help achieve the goals that we have with them, which is you know, primarily around health and retention. So we'll work with customers when we see those triggers come in. And so from their perspective, I'm sure it feels proactive, but on our end, it feels reactive because we're reacting to triggers that we're seeing. This is really interesting to me and a theme we will continue to unpack throughout the episode. How does Dan bring together tactics that may be more common in a self-serve or higher volume segment and combine them with some you might not expect to see in a self-serve segment at all? I wanted to know what data is used to prioritize these actions and what triggers they use as the jumping off point for engagement? Yeah, great question. So for us, a lot of it looks like doing reverse engineering on successful and unsuccessful customers, right? We know customers that have churned in. We know customers that have grown. So we can plot out back against that, looking at milestones, looking at health triggers, looking at different usage trends, adoption trends, all those different kinds of things. So we try to make everything that we are really data-driven. That's one of Monday's core values. And one of the things that I've loved with Monday.com is they live that value. So we try to take a look at mapping what was successful, what do successful customers look like? What did that look like? So we can map, okay, this is what we want to see people on that path. And customers that churned, customers that weren't successful, what did that look like? So we can know what to look out for as warning signs. And then we really use a lot of that data to be our, our North Star when we're testing and kind of following almost a scientific model of we think that this is what being successful looks like. Let's compare it against the accounts that we know are successful. So there is some validation in that where we're able to validate our thoughts to customers that we know have been successful. So that's really what a lot of that looks like. So it tends to be very product-driven components as far as how they're using the product and how they're adopting it. So there's a lot of that that goes into the specific triggers that we look at. Yeah, I'd love to hear, like, it sounds like a lot of these things are not things that typically fall under the success function or in other companies may not fall under the success function. How much sort of cross-team collaboration is there here versus this is just a project that is the responsibility of our team and we live soup to nuts? Yeah, there's a little bit of both. So we have really great teams that we collaborate with, whether it's business operations teams that we work with to help define and use some of our data analytics tools and our business intelligence tools, where they do a little you know, that combination of training us to be able to do some of that on our own with the tools that we have, as well as for more advanced queries that I'm working with and pulling these reports for us to be able to look at. So we've got teams that do that a lot. We've worked with sales teams to help get data on, hey, which were accounts that from our end, when we look, we can just see expansion, which is great and worth knowing, but which were accounts that were like tough sells versus this was just a got it and they grew with the product and it was really quick and it was really natural fit versus an uphill battle. So we can get some of that validation from our sales team and we work with your marketing team to look at types of customers that are opening things that we're sending. And so what are the open rates on all those communications that we're sending out so we can get better data on the communications that we send out. So there is a lot of collaboration while also having a lot of autonomy around building out entirely what it is that we're doing. We own and we've got a, a fantastic leader on our team you know, who manages the team who actually does a great job at helping us build as much as we can 
um, autonomously while also being really aware of what other teams in the org can bring to the table and really how we can help be a part of their success and then be a part of our success. So certainly not a silo, certainly not an island. And so there's times when it feels a little more like that. Sometimes you've just got your head down trying to figure out the process. What is our goal that we want to achieve within the bigger goals of monday.com? And from there, how do we partner with what other teams are already doing in those areas? Right. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I, I know you mentioned aligning on goals. How do you measure progress? Like, how do you li- make sure that you're lining up like your individual team goals with the full I guess, CS function goal with ultimately the company goal above that? Yeah, that's a, where we just have really great leaders. I really I can't oversell that enough. We've got leaders that are in communication with each other, We've got great communication at the top and all the way down at those leaders at the different functions who are owning the communication of what their goals are. And as you can imagine, when they were in hyper growth, that becomes more of a challenge. But we've got leaders that are really committed to that because we know that, again, just as an ethos as a company, rising tide lifts all boats. So being able to make sure that our goals are in alignment with what other teams are doing or being aware of what other teams are working on helps us make sure that we're not working in counter directions, right? So just an easy example would be if we were having as one of our goals something that was maybe customer marketing related because that's something that marketing may have historically been focused on new business top of funnel. And then we find out that marketing has been working on a big initiative for customer marketing. Great. We don't need to own that. That's something that we don't want to have to do. We would rather let other teams do that if that's where their goals are. And we don't want to be kind of working in a, a silo. So a lot of it comes from that high level of communication, which again, is just a, a culture that's been kind of hard fought to have and maintain because it doesn't come by accident, right? Right. Yeah. Especially as you grow. 100%, which is a big part of the process, even as we're growing, to make sure that we're always bringing in people that will be value culture adds to what we have to help contribute to and grow that type of culture of sharing, learning, growing, making sure we're all in the same direction. Totally. What are some things sort of to that end or that sort of theme of growth and like operating in this sort of hyper growth environment? What are some things that you found used to work? that you've had to sort of iterate on and change tech on for the scale and the goals that you have now? Yeah, I would say a big component would be, uh, one example would be office hours that we used to do with customers where it used to be more product focused around features. But as our company grew, where we would have these sessions as part of our scale segment, for example, where we would have a feature related office hours, we would present a little bit about it and have a more open conversation with customers, truly office hour style, bring your questions, let's talk, let's have a open forum to work through this and, you know, answer any of the questions that you have. In addition to, you know, a proactive presentation, we've found that as we've grown and scaled as a company and as our customers have gotten more sophisticated and therefore our support structure in a really good way has gotten more sophisticated at providing that, we just didn't need that as much anymore. So instead we found that a more strategic angle that we've been working with then is more industry vertical office hours. So it's less frequent, but more strategic focus where we're bringing customers together around their vertical rather than around a component of the product. And that's been something that's been really helpful as we've grown and scaled because, frankly, as we've scaled and grown, that office hours wouldn't have been able to get done what we needed to at the scale we did 
So our support team responded and built out great resources that have taken the place of what we did before because that wasn't going to scale as our customers continued to grow and as we grew our customer base and brought in more customers. So we've now landed on this other way of doing it that's much more strategic and brings, I think, from my perspective, a lot more value to the customers. And it's something that brings a lot more of that human value to it as opposed to what our support team was able to really help build out in our customer experience team. So what does this look like in practice? How does Dan think about allocating resources to reach these goals? What are the things that are in the proactive bucket versus the reactive bucket? And how do you allocate time to each? Yeah, absolutely. So we know that part of it's given our segment, but we don't want to have the level of relationship that will be there on a higher touch side. So knowing that we want to reserve our human interactions for times that are going to be most strategic and impactful to have just-in-time human interaction is a lot of the way we look at it. So part of that is proactive life cycle based. And so we factor that around where the customer is in the life cycle and how we allocated resources, frankly, is just digging into the data. Where are our customers at? Where are they in contract life cycle? Where are they in product life cycle? What do we think they'll need based on what we've built out around that? And then that's the resources that we plan. And we know this because this these are certain fixed data points that are happening within this time frame. Even if they expand it a little bit, sure, give or take, these are the accounts that are falling into this portion of their life cycle in this quarter. And that's some pretty fixed data points, which makes for some really easy planning on the proactive side. And then to also then plan out what does our one-to-many look like? We try to do that more proactively. What are the campaigns that we can launch? What are the one-to-many office hours that we can do in a given quarter? So we plan a lot of that, whether it's the one-to-many initiatives or the kind of one-to-one initiatives of more account-driven things, digging into the data to see where do we need that. And then similarly, I'm going to just be a broken record when I talk about all our data because I'm also a data nerd apparently is looking at the data for even the reactive side. Okay, how many accounts did we work with that experienced this in the past year, these different triggers? Once we've identified what are the triggers we want to look for, on average, obviously there's no way to guarantee and fully predict that, but what does it look like to dig into the accounts that we have and see how many needed that and then plan our people's time accordingly? So I know we've talked about data throughout. What are like other tools that you're living in every day that are giving you that data? Or is this a, like, we, we're going and running queries in SQL, like Postgres, like whatever. Like, what's the way that you're accessing that data? Absolutely. So Salesforce reporting and our business intelligence tool. We use Looker, but frankly, any business intelligence tool would help you as long as it's a robust one. So we, we dig into our business intelligence tool for a lot of the questions that are around things like trending over time. How is usage of the product trending over time? How are they allocating the seats that they've purchased? Um, like as far as like using them. And Salesforce is fantastic for driving, okay, expansion. How, how is that looking over time? How is it looking that they are having as far as number of seats in their plan, that they're expanding over time and growing versus when are they renewing? Um, all those different kinds of things that we look at. And we combine the two and get a lot of our data through those. A really robust business intelligence tool is something that I think is non-negotiable and has been super helpful to be able to do this at scale so that we're not just saying, I feel this or I think this and trying it out. We're saying, I think or I feel this and we're testing it against data before we go out and do this at scale with our customers. Yeah, you mentioned this earlier, sort of being able to validate some of these thoughts with data and then ultimately with customers. Like, 
how do you plan or how do you think about the cycles around we thought this, we saw this trend or whatever it is in the data and we did something. How do you sort of close that loop of what we did actually helped move the number or help move the or improve the experience for that group? Yeah, so there's a lot of trial and error as far as iterating and checking against data. But there's two ways to think about it for me. One is the proactive gut validation. We think feature X is really sticky. This is one that we think keeps customers. Let's look at customers that grew and validate that. Does the data show that we're right, that they did use this feature a lot? There are times when that you find out, yep, we're correct. And those that churned did not use this. So we can say that there's a correlation. Even if there's not a you know causation, we can say there's correlation here worth investing our energy into trying to help customers use this that we know has made other customers more successful. Sometimes we get the negative validation of that and we say, wow, this feature seemed really sticky. And sure, there are some that really use it, but a lot of our successful customers don't use it. That doesn't mean it's not a great, helpful feature for those that do, but it's not one worth going out of our way to drive adoption on. So that's one way. So the proactive validation of ideas And then the second would be looking at the results of our impact. So part of that is thinking strategically, are we looking to have a long-term change on customer behavior or are we trying to have a short-term change? And so when we take an action, we try to look at what is the desired outcome? Because it's easy to just get into the habit of, okay, we want to do something with customers. This is what I'm doing. When in reality, it's helpful before taking those actions with customers, what is the goal that I want to see come out of this? Is it that I want them to, you know, we've, we've got boards in Monday. It's part of our platform, right? Is it that I want to see them create more boards? Is it that I want to see them increase their user count? What is the goal for this particular action? And then is that a short-term goal that can have a quick, immediate, we should expect to see this impact quickly? Or is this a longer-term goal over a longer-term campaign? And so we define a lot of those criteria so that we can then go back and look at the data and say, okay, this worked for these accounts, it didn't for these. Is there anything in common here between these accounts? Is there anything we can glean from that to do this better next time? Or is it just great? This is effective with some accounts and and not with others. So this is worth doing at a, a broader scale. So there's a little bit of gray in there, but it all depends on what we're trying to do. And that's one of the things that I think comes out a lot is start with the end. What's the goal that we have in mind for this so that we can measure the success, so that we can measure the effectiveness and then know what to iterate on. Right. What is the metric that defines success for you and your team? What is the number that you're reporting back up or up to CS team lead and and ultimately out beyond to the rest of the company? Yeah, like most, it's really a twofold factor. It's health slash adoption, which we have our internal numbers that measure that. But we've got pretty specific numbers internally that do health slash adoption. And then like all CS teams, net dollar retention. I think rolling that up, those two are the the high level ones. One conversation that's bubbling up in CS right now is how to measure and report on the business impact of making customers successful through NRI. So I was curious to know how Dan and Monday.com thinks about the difference between dollars added by sales in the initial checkout and the dollars added by success in account expansion and recovery of unhealthy accounts. Yeah, so we do look at that. There's a couple different components to it. One is we try to celebrate and look at wins when they happen and accounts do expand. I think, for example, on the scale side, we don't touch every account as close. It's a little harder to see. 
but we own retention and part of owning retention is having the net dollar retention, right? So if we're able to see some of those leading indicators, that's why on our side, I think health comes out a little bit stronger initially, because when we are trying to measure, did we help turn health around? Because we know that it's significantly harder for sales to sell and expand an account that's not healthy in the first place, right? If they're a new business, that's one thing. If you're closing a big deal, they might not have experience already. But if they're currently using a platform and they're in really poor health because they're not using it or not enjoying it because they already have frustrations or fill in the blank, significantly harder battle for sales to help turn that around. And so a leading indicator of the expansion is just helping get their health turned around, helping work with them to get them into a healthy spot with their adoption because we want to see them accomplishing their goals because we care about seeing our customers be successful. And a lot of times that looks like expanding because Monday is such a great, robust platform and really expanding is in their best interest, but it's also because we just care about seeing their success. So on our team, part of it's the leading indicator. Was there a trend? Did the CSM work closely with this? So a lot of times, because we do have a separate team that is account management that does do own the expansion part of it, we know that these are a little inseparable, right? Like if a CSM is doing a good job to get customers directly bought in, then it's going to make the account manager's job that much easier to get the expansion out of it. So while we don't own the actual sales motion of it, that's why we look at the overall net dollar retention because we know that we own just because if we're owning the customer and their success, part of that success includes the expanding there. So, and it's giving a little bit of a longer answer, but it's because it's something that isn't necessarily cut and dry when there's as many teams as there are involved with the complexity of it, because we care about seeing a customer grow. We care about seeing a customer be healthier. Right. One thing that you mentioned health a lot there, right? Like in it's, it's sort of a leading indicator. It's also a metric that you, you have an internal metric or an internal measure of health. And this is maybe a little different in a sort of much higher touch, sort of more one-to-one relationship where you're actually having lots of conversations with a customer. But what goes into health for your team? Like, what are the markers on that health score for you? Yeah, we look at a number of things, whether it's a number of weekly users that are being active in the platform, it's depth of usage. So how many average actions are people actually taking in the platform? How many days are they logging in? And I believe is their capacity, like how many seats are they using out of what they've purchased? So all of those factor in to give us a health score. Gotcha. Gotcha. So a couple of final questions. This one's kind of a a fun one, hopefully. So in all your sort of experience in CS, sure you've seen like plenty of different challenges and sort of different roles, different companies, different segments of customer. What's the one CS or CS adjacent problem that if you had a magic wand that you would just wipe off the the slate? Yeah, it might sound a little cliche, but just being able to actually magically wave the wand around having customer goals and CS goals be in alignment. Because you get the this mismatch where sometimes customer success managers are in companies where you know, the goals aren't in alignment with actually making the customers successful. And then you get these people that are passionate about that working in companies and not able to focus on helping a customer achieve their goal because we know that even something on our end, like a health score, right, is tells us one picture of health. But if a company is accomplishing the goal that they bought Monday.com for, 
they're golden, even if they have a quote unquote so-so health score. Like they're happy if they bought us to help make a process easier. And that process is no longer something they think about because it was a headache before they came on board. They don't care what their health score says. Right. And so, right, that's just an in general, and that's not a Monday specific thing. That's just across the board. CS teams have a hard time lining up with what a customer goal is. So if I could magically wave the wand to figure out what does that look like, because I also get there's a subjectivity around, oh, the customer's achieving their goals. It's fine. Ignore the the score. What does that look like? I don't know. People way smarter than me and paid way bigger bucks than me are figuring that out, I'm sure. And that's why if I could wave my magic wand, I would make that go away so that CSMs could just be freed up to really focus on making customers successful. Yeah, I love that. That's also brings up another question, as these things always do, right? It's always a rabbit hole when you talk about the things that our company can track and the metrics that we have and the systems that we have for understanding what customer success looks like and what the customer actually sees as success. How do you think about it? Well, how is that sort of incorporated into your team's work? The data that you get from actions and sort of product-centric data versus things that the customer is actually saying is more sort of qualitative and I guess squishy for lack of a better term. Absolutely. Monday has out of, and I can say this across the board, this is my favorite thing here. Monday has the best culture of celebrating wins and breadth of wins out of any company I've ever been a part of. So a big part of that is it's really hard to measure that in like a formal goal, right? That more qualitative piece, some of those. Whether sometimes you can with getting success stories and getting customer quotes, but even that can be a little hard to make an objective thing you measure. So where Monday does that is we've got our objective pieces that are our goals that we have to measure because we have to be data-driven to do at the scale of a company like monday.com. But in the meantime, we celebrate the heck out of those other moments, whether it's something a customer said in a call, whether it's something a customer said in an email, we make sure we celebrate that up. We look at that, we say, hey, this is how the customer is feeling. Here's something they said before, they weren't as happy, but oh my goodness, now they're talking about how they couldn't imagine doing this any other way. That's a win. Like we see some usage change, sure, in the data, and we would love to see that even more play out in the data because we know that that individual isn't going to necessarily be at the company forever. So you got to, that's why the data driven is so important because when their, their replacement comes in who doesn't have the emotional attachment, comes in and says, well, show me and justify this. We need data to back that up. So I fully get that. So we celebrate the heck out of those people that do. And so Monday has just a really strong culture of celebration around that. And that makes, all the difference for me, I would say, is one big way we do that. Nice. I love it. That's such a, it's interesting to me, like, as I have more of these conversations too, that company culture is such a huge part of whether it's alignment between sales and CS, whether it's alignment around company success versus customer success, whatever it is, culture has such a huge impact on ability to make customer successful and ultimately happy customers at the end of all this. So this has been great. One final question to sort of wrap things up. Who is somebody who you think that would be great to have on the show as well? Who would you like to hear from to answer similar questions about what they're up to at that company? Fantastic question there. The number one person that always, two that come to my mind would be first and foremost, Diana de Jesus at Catalyst, just because she's someone who has such a broad perspective as a CSM and being a part of a company like Catalyst, where they're a company for CSMs, I think is such an interesting perspective. I would love to be a fly on the wall for that conversation and hear that, (laughs) or listen to the episode when you produce it, of course, the other option. 
So she'd probably be number one pick with the second close one being uh, Erica Villarreal of Condeco currently, because I think that, again, her experience transitioning into having both a, a really small org that she was a part of, as well as a much larger organization that she's a part of now on the more enterprise side, that breadth of experience, I think would be really cool to hear from. And I know that she thinks really strategically about things. So be a great guest to snag. Amazing. I would definitely go reach out. But yeah, thank you so much for doing this. There's so much great stuff. I love the the really data-driven approach and like how iterative and sort of, yes, there is the customer's goal and the, the goal of making the customer successful proactively, but it doesn't always have to actually be proactive. There's a sort of reactive element if you have enough data to do things just in time. Thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Stuart. Really appreciate it. Of course. Thanks so much to Dan for diving deep into the data-driven systems that power customer success at monday.com. Let's go back to our big idea from the start of the episode. How do we enable successful outcomes at scale if people don't scale? By using data to identify the critical moments in the journey to engage with customers and being strategic about putting a human in the loop. And how can we identify those moments? By reverse engineering the paths of our best customers to being successful and experimenting with interventions and touch points to encourage staying on that path. We can measure our impact against the baseline we've created for ourselves and use data-driven health scoring to identify customers with the highest risk of churn, but also the greatest opportunity for expansion. From there, it's possible to start prioritizing the type of action we want to take. Some customers will achieve great outcomes with a human in the loop, while others may be helped most by in-app assistance. Identifying the paths to success make it possible to make more strategic decisions about making the right touch at the right time for each customer, even at scale. We closed out this conversation talking about the data-centric culture at monday.com that results in happy, successful customers. And in our next episode, I'll be chatting with Ellie Hutton from Dooley about the impact of building a culture that puts the customer at the center of everything you do, whatever team you're on. Thanks for listening.